Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. To the best of the week podcast. I'm Steven Sir. I'm filling in this week for Pete Sweeney, who's taking a little break in the dog days of the NFL summer. If you didn't catch the best of podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network last week, we're going to be doing these on a weekly basis. It's a condensed version of all of our three weekly shows to make sure you still get that Arrowhead Pride fill. We're going to start things off with Pete Sweeney and John Dixon on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. As they discuss the breaking news of the week, Chiefs defensive end Frank Clark reportedly arrested twice within the last couple of months in the state of California on two different gun charges. They've got everything you need to know there. Around the 11-minute mark, it's Ron Kopp and Matt Stagner with the Out of Structure podcast as they play a game of Convince Me I'm Wrong Chiefs edition. And we finish things up with Show and BK. Now we're on the show. Hughley was actually out of town this week, so I held it down with Brandon Kylie. We discuss pro football focused top 50 players in the NFL and four, that's right, four of your Kansas City Chiefs were in the top 20. But let's start things off with Pete Sweeney and John Dixon on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. All right, John, we have to get into it here, and it's not something that's fun uh, to get into. News, news on Monday broke where it was TMZ, never a good sign when TMZ is connected with your team. Uh, Frank Clark arrested in Los Angeles for illegal firearm possession. I'll read it here. Frank Clark, one of the best players in the league, was arrested Sunday after cops say he had an Uzi in his Lambo SUV. TMZ Sports has learned. Law enforcement sources tell us Clark was pulled over for a routine traffic stop Sunday evening when cops say they noticed an open duffel bag in his ride. Our sources say Officers saw the firearm inside the bag and arrested the 28-year-old for felony illegal possession of a firearm. So Sam McDowell, friend of mine, Kansas City Star, he dug right in, uh, apparently started making some calls, talked to a spokesperson for the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department and said that Clark was released Monday afternoon on bond. But then McDowell also noted later in the evening that Clark was also previously arrested in March on a gun charge during a traffic stop. Uh, And then TMZ also added a a new piece of information later in the afternoon saying that the weapons belong to a member of the security team. We're told uh, attorney Alex Spiro will represent Clark moving forward in the case. So that's two gun related arrests in California. We didn't even really know about the one in March until this one made people research yesterday. Mm. Not a great offseason. And I've noted this, especially for a player who just last Tuesday Went on to that Zoom media availability, and I think to his credit, it seemed at the time, really understood how important this year is for his career after what he basically admitted was a pretty big off year for him. And he had mentioned not meeting his goals, the 10 sacks, which is always a goal. He even talked about potentially getting 15 and 20 sacks. 
And all we have right now is a likely suspension. When you look at the two arrests, the personal conduct policy for the NFL has laxed in recent years with the new CBA, but there are sometimes situations where they're not going to ignore it. And the NFL spokesperson, Brian McCarthy, has already confirmed that this will be under the conduct policy. They will be reviewing it. And so I think you're looking at two to four games. I know there's a lot of folks out there, and perhaps rightly so, who say this and that about gun laws. The truth of the matter is, and and this is how I feel about it, if you have a gun in California, you got to know the rules. You got to follow the rules. Uh, And it, it, it right now, from the facts that we have, that does not seem like Clark was necessarily following those rules, which led to two arrests. And now the Chiefs are going to have to deal with whatever comes of it. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that there's still a lot of information we don't know about this. Of course, uh, yeah. And 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 um, uh, so we need to be careful about jumping to too many conclusions about. Agreed, it. completely. And, agree. and I think you're right that the likely thing is that we'll see some kind of suspension at some point in the future. Maybe this season. Maybe it won't be until next season, depending on how long this process plays out in California. Um, and well, that's even, not to cut you off here, quick, but that, that's one thing that's changed recently with the NFL and teams is there seems to be a little bit more patience before punishment. Whereas right. it used to be right when they started getting involved with off the field matters, it was really mm-hmm. quick and we saw the NFL make some mistakes. So that's a good point by you, which I have not even mentioned is who knows this could come in for the 22 season. Right. It could. And it's even possible that there could be no disciplinary action from the NFL at all. I mean, you know, again, these things we don't know about this case right. at this point, um, you know, maybe in just a matter of a few days, uh, we learn things about it that make this less of a big deal for Clark. So, I, you know, we shouldn't get ourselves too worked up about it. But I agree with what you said uh, in that, you know, if you've got a gun in your possession, you need to know the rules in whatever right. state you're in. And if Clark failed to do that, then the police were right to do what they did. And so, uh, you know, it's not just in California. That's true anywhere you are. You know, Uh, they have different gun laws in California than they have in other parts of the country. And uh, and he's from there. He should know what they are. (laughs) It's not like he was in, you know, West Alabama or something when this happened. So um, it's it's a bad situation. It's a terrible thing to have to talk about. But, you know, yesterday there were three incidents involving NFL players. Um, We had a rookie defensive lineman for the uh, Vikings, Jalen Twyman, who was shot four times. Now, the, the word is that it was uh, he was a, uh, an innocent bystander. The wrong place, wrong time type right, of thing right. from the agent. And he's expected to recover fully. They're flesh wounds, apparently. And then uh, the, another rookie for the Cardinals, Zayvon Collins, was arrested for reckless driving in Arizona. So this is what we see happen pretty regularly right after minicamp when these players go back home and, uh, you know, get away from the routine that they've been in with the team and they've got time off before training camp begins. It's not that unusual for us to see multiple incidents in the first couple of days after that. These are all young men. Uh, You know, I'm glad I don't have to have people looking at uh, with a microscope at what I was like in my twenties. Right. (laughs) So, uh, you know, and this, this is a, 
a nightmare for for coaches. I mean, you look at yeah. Andy Reid as well, his early sixties. Uh, this is the last thing he wants. I, even yeah. even if the players just had to stay in Kansas City and they did video meetings and were off the field, I think Andy Reid would prefer that each and every member of his ninety man roster was uh, with him and could mm-hmm. have something to do and, and things like that. But again. Uh, yeah, in your 20s and and agreed with you 100%. Uh, there is a responsibility to being an NFL player. That's why they make so yep. much money. Uh, we mm-hmm. will, again, and I think that's the, the best thing you said about this. We don't know a ton of information, but as we get information about it, we will continue to pass it along at arrowheadpride.com. I tend to think uh, there's a possibility for a suspension. Uh, who knows if it's yeah. this year or next year. I think the Chiefs will now have to prepare like they may not have Frank Clark for the first two weeks, which would be the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens. And it's interesting because they could have really used Frank Clark in those games. Again, we don't know what we're going to see. And we've talked a lot about Chris Jones and being on the outside. Imagine if he had not been on the outside, the Chiefs may have to just put him on the outside for these games that Clark may not be available because Mm -hmm. they need that impact player uh, along the edge and it does impact the team. I was asked this morning during my usual 610 hit, well, what do you think the Chiefs would do if they they don't have Frank Clark? They have some depth candidates that can get them through the game. I, I look at Taco Charlton coming off that injury. Mike Dana, we we have discussed Tim Ward on this program where uh, the Chiefs have probably kept Tim Ward around for a reason and it for him to potentially step up I think in a situation like this, you have a rookie in in Josh Kando and so there are some options there. What I reminded people on the radio this morning, and I'll reiterate here, is the fact that, look, the Chiefs of Patrick Mahomes. Let's not forget that. We shouldn't forget mm-hmm. that in Kansas City. I don't yeah. think anyone's forgotten that in Kansas City. It's gotten a little forgotten nationally. It's amazing. But I think that's because of how much Mahomes and the Chiefs struggled in the Super Bowl because of that offensive line. Mm-hmm. And I think just people forgot that you put Patrick Mahomes with 52 men on the street. Look, I'm exaggerating here. You put him with 52 men on the street. He's going to have a chance to win the football game, right? Against most teams. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have this almost historic front and they're playing their best football at the right time. And at the same time, the Chiefs, I'm going to be mean here, had five men on the street that were protecting Patrick Mahomes. They couldn't, they couldn't do anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think nationally, we forgot how good Patrick Mahomes is. I mean, it might be a situation where Mahomes is up 14, 21 points quickly on the Browns and Ravens, especially if we think this offense is going to click. So it gives you a little bit more wiggle room if Mike Dana is your opposing edge player to Chris Jones. Much more serious off the field. I I think we always have to say that. But from an on-the-field standpoint, my worry level, if you're not without Frank Clark, even against two playoff teams and the Browns and the Ravens, man, I'm at like a 3 out of 10. I am not worried at all. Well, that's pretty confident there. Seeing as how the TMZ article said he was one of the biggest stars in the league. (laughs) Don't fall into it, John, because don't fall into it. And I'm telling you, it's happened nationally because I watch these programs, which is like Mm -hmm. Get Up and Good Morning Football. Schrager hasn't forgotten. Our boy, Peter Schrager, has not forgotten. But the rest of the panelists and people have, you know, they've kind of cooling a little bit on Patrick Mahomes. It's like, don't forget. This was the only game in his pro career that he lost by more than one score. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I don't know. Mahomes is like you walk into the kitchen. Oh, my God. We talked about your dog. What did Willie do? Well, guess what? You have the magic eraser. Patrick Mahomes is that magic eraser that you buy in Walmart. 
and he cleans up anything, any kind of problem that you may have. And so that's why I'm not really worried about it. I, I think because Mahomes makes your team go one dimensional, especially in the regular season when it's not these final four playoff teams, um, when the Chiefs are just so far ahead offensively of other teams. So I, I feel okay about it. I know we're, look, it's June 22nd. We have a long way to go to September. We're going to find out a lot about this team during training camp. But even without Frank Clark, I think you're fine for those first couple of weeks. Well, and I would also point out, and I'm not necessarily ascribing to this view, but there are a lot of Chiefs fans who are way down on Frank Clark and think he makes way too much money and doesn't have the production to justify that contract. And a lot of those people who feel that way are constantly dragging him down. Well, if that's how you feel, then what does it matter if he misses a couple of games? So, right. you know, and I, and again, and a lot I'm of not, people would say, and, and maybe joke, and maybe this isn't the time to joke with him getting arrested, but the, you know, some chiefs fans would be like, well, the chiefs didn't have Frank Clark last year, you know, in right. a sense, especially yeah. during the regular season or uh, saying, Oh, can you void this contract? I think a little too soon to jump to all those conclusions. Right. I agree. Let the information come out. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, I, again, I just don't think the worry on the field is anything right now for the chiefs. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. Let's jump right back into it. Ron Kopp and Matt Stagner played a game of Convince Me I'm Wrong on this week's Out of Structure podcast. Ron, as our name implies, each week we're trying something a little bit out of structure, a little different segment this week. Many of you have probably seen an internet meme. It's a picture of a guy sitting at a table on a college campus, and there's a sign out front that says some ridiculous statement, and then it says, Convince Me I'm Wrong. And so we're going to do a convince me I'm wrong segment. We're going to throw out some of your takes, some of our takes, and we'll see if we can disprove them in three points or less. What do you think, Ron? Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize that was where the inspiration for this, these segments came from the meme world. So shout out that meme because it is a good one. Um, but yeah, no, we're going to go ahead and get into that because I have a statement that I want to, that I want you to convince me that I am wrong about. And it got inspiration from Doug at Raw Dog Brown on Twitter's question. He asked, what percentage of snaps do you predict Chris Jones to play on the edge, given he said during his media time last week? He made it seem as if he'll be on the edge even more than what the general public anticipated prior to his media time. I agree with that. He does, he does make it sound like that. But Matt, convince me I am wrong. Chris Jones will still be primarily defensive tackle and will still be labeled and considered a defensive tackle. Convince me I am wrong. Well, this is the stance that I actually had early on in this offseason. All along, I've been saying I'm not buying this thing about Chris Jones being an edge. He's a defensive tackle. That's what he does best. He's not going to be an edge. Well, you would think that if he was going to be a defensive tackle, that at some point during the offseason program, he might line up there, right? It sure appears that he's lining up as a full-time defensive end. He's talking about being a full-time defensive end. And if you look at the way the roster is constructed, 
there's a need at defensive end way more than there is at defensive tackle. And the way I put together my 53-man roster prediction, it works perfectly if Jones is an end, and then you've got good depth at tackle, you've got good depth at the end position, to the edge position. If yeah. Jones is inside, you're really short on defensive ends or edge players. Well, especially with with the news, we do got to we do have to mention it, even though you know we want to make sure we we give it its due process and see what happens. But you know, uh, Monday came down. Frank Clark was arrested for for illegal firearm possession in California. Apparently, his second arrest of the off season in that capacity. Um, so that's obviously going to shake it up a little bit, at least. You know, uh, there's got to be some sort of you'd imagine some sort of suspension. We don't know. We don't want to speculate. We really don't. But that is thinning out a defensive end position that already was pretty thin. We were calling for them to bring in Melvin Ingram maybe, and that's something that they might you know, consider a little more depending on what happens with this. But that is where it, it is going to get thin at defensive end now. And that I, I think Jones, you know, now it, it's good that he's been practicing the end because he might have to play it a lot more, especially at the beginning of the season. Yeah, if whatever happens with Clark's situation affects his availability, then you've got an even bigger needed edge. Chris Jones can fill, help fill that need. He can't fill it entirely, but he can help. He also, if I'm going to get to my three points here, so yes, he's practiced there. He's talking about it, and there's a, there's a need there. There's also, if you look at the tendencies of Steve Spagnuolo and his defense, Jones really is a pretty good fit at defensive end. He's got the length. He's got the strength. He wins by bull rush more so than speed. These are all characteristics of a Spagnuolo defensive end. If you look at a Spagnolo defensive tackle, these are usually massive, massive guys who are run stuffers first, bull rushers second. To have Jones in that three-tech position, he looks a little lean for what Spagnolo usually likes. He's not as good interior against the run as Spagnolo would usually like on the inside. Those characteristics play differently on the outside, and, and he might be a better fit on the outside in some ways than, than on the inside when it comes to this specific defense and what they ask of their defensive linemen and edge players. So with that, I think we could, we've really established the fact that Chris Jones is a defensive end until further notice, until something else changes. I want to throw out one other potential beneficiary of that. We talked about the depth chart a little bit. If Jones is a defensive end and Clark is available, of course, They've got decent depth on the outside. On the inside, you've got Derek Noddy, Jerron Reed, and Turk Wharton. And normally they carry four defensive tackles. Really, this may open the door for Colin Saunders, who we've previously put on the bubble on this very podcast. Maybe he has a better chance at making the roster now with Jones on the outside because he was that backup three-tech. Jones, the starter at three-tech, never comes off the field or, or didn't come off the field very much. Colin Saunders' ability to make this roster and to be part of that three-tech rotation is certainly going to be improved if, if Chris Jones is sort of out of the way, at least officially. Yeah, exactly. And, and Saunders is also kind of a bigger guy. He's, he's a little thicker than what you have in Wharton, so maybe that influences them too. If Jones isn't going to be a big body in, inside to take up some holes, uh, they need somebody else because Wharton – is just not that kind of guy, and they and if you lose one of Naughty or Reed to injury, maybe all of a sudden you really don't have that huge dude that can plug up a, a gap 
uh, like Naughty or, or Reed can. Saunders is a little bit bigger of a dude, but he's also got some juice. And that's why, you know, hey, a, a third third year in the system, you know, maybe that maybe it's his breakout year. Maybe it's his time to be a, kind of a Turk Wharton uh, situation to the to de- the defense this year. But I will say to push back against you a little bit to, to uh, argue my point. You know, Jones might be practicing defensive end right now because he's never had to practice defensive end before. He never has, I should say. Now he's kind of he kind of needs to. He already knows how to play defensive tackle. If he's going to play defensive end in any capacity, why not get all these reps in practice in the offseason? And then by the time the games come around, maybe, hey, he's defensive tackle now and and he's playing it more than defensive end because he didn't need to practice at all offseason. He knows how to do it. So. The flip side of that, though, is you've only got so many offseason reps. The programs have been limited by the CBA and the players' union. They're, why waste reps on a position he's not really going to be playing? Yeah, that's a good point. No, I, that is a good point. I'll just say that, you know, Jones is, is probably the kind of player that they can trust to, you know, not practice or not have as many offseason reps at a position that he's been playing, you know, for the last two, three years, uh, that three-tech position for Spags. But, no, I, I'm with you, Matt. I'm with you. But I know you got a statement uh, convincing that you need me to convince you that I'm wrong or that you are wrong. <laughs> well, now that you've fully admitted that that I won the first one and uh, and talked in circles about the second one, Ron, let's go right to this uh, question from from Tobias Clemenson on, on Twitter. How many snaps will Noah Gray play at the start of the playoffs? So I'm going to say, you know, Noah Gray, based on everything we've heard in this offseason program, is going to be just a breakout, smashing success. He's going to be a huge contributor to this offense from day one. He's the tight end, two that we always wish we had and, and never have seen before. Noah Gray, massive contributor. Convince me I'm wrong. We really need to temper our expectations for Noah Gray. As a Chiefs kingdom right now, as a community, we all need to take a collective breath and understand that it is really hard to come into the NFL at the tight end position and contribute right away. You never really see rookie tight ends break out and become big contributors for their offense because I I honestly do think it's one of the hardest positions to transition from college to the NFL. And think about it. You have to block as much as an offensive lineman most of the time, especially in an Andy Reid system, if you're not a Travis Kelsey, you know, if you're a tight end too, like a Blake Bell or Nick Kaiser, we saw them, they're blocking most of the time they're on the field. They rarely are running routes. Obviously, Gray doesn't fit that exact mold, but if he wants to be the second tight end on this roster, he's going to have to be able to block. Well, on the flip side of that, you're telling me that he's going to be a less of a contributor because he's not blocking as much? He didn't draft this guy as a blocker. He's a receiving threat. He's going to be the the H-back. He's going to be getting out in space. Who cares about blocking? He won't be the straight-up tight end, too, though. That's the thing. And, and, and we've seen it in, in Andy Reid's offense. He likes a traditional 12 personnel where he has two tight ends on the field and these run formations. And that tight end, too, is a blocker. Blake Bell was a blocker in 2019. Nick Kaiser was a blocker last year. And that's, that's who they're going to have at that tight end two position, at least starting out in those typical formations. There's going to be special formations for Gray, for sure. There's going to be special you know, situations where they want to use Gray's skill set. But just in general, when they are using two tight ends, I feel like Bell will be getting that, that role over him, at least at first. And then also it's just they, they have Burton to play the traditional fullback snaps, and that's the other part of this where Gray is, is, is thought of as, you know, hey, he can play fullback. They have guys that can play these traditional roles for them. I just don't see him 
penetrating those roles right now. And so he's more of just a specialty player. And that's not a guy that's going to have a huge contributing role, just maybe a few big catches here or there, but nothing where we're having a big yardage total at the end of the year. Yeah, but the, the Chiefs haven't had a great number two tight end since Demetrius Harris. Why, why can't Noah Gray step in and pick up the production that Harris used to have? Well, that's the other thing, though, is, is Harris was a bigger dude, and, and he was a, a big guy, and he played in the NFL. It took him a few years until he was a contributor. He was on the Chiefs in 2014, 2015. You probably don't remember too much of him in those years. It was, it was 2016, 17, 18 is when he really started becoming a player, and so that just proves my point a little more at that, at that rate. I think Gray is going to be a great contributor in the long run. I just think this year it's, the kingdom is starting to get a little excited about what he can do this year. I just want to temper our expectations a little bit. He may be a guy that we only see, you know, for a few snaps here or there. It makes a big play once every two or three games. Not someone that's a, a consistent contributor every game. Well, for those of you that haven't guessed, I was being a little bit uh, facetious, playing a little devil's advocate there, because if you look at Demetrius Harris's stats, his best season was 224 yards receiving, and his biggest touchdown total was three touchdowns in a year so we can talk about Noah Gray breaking out and having a great year and being the second most productive tight end maybe he's not the number two tight end but he's the second most productive tight end on the roster and that may still only mean 200 yards and three touchdowns in a season which is not the breakout performance that so many people are predicting yeah, and I and I would agree that he's he's probably going to be the second most productive tight end in terms of yardage, but that doesn't say much when you're talking about a Blake Bell who I would imagine is beating out Nick Kaiser for that third tight end spot. Um, and but I like I said, I do think Bell will be have more snaps taken at the tight end position than Gray will this year. So yeah, I, I agree with that point that'll be the second most productive, but he's still not going to have a huge huge impact this year in my opinion. There's this guy on the defense that's just criminally underrated that makes plays does everything that the defense needs steps in in big situations he he's the dime linebacker he gets the mic reps when when he's needed ben neiman is a hugely important part of this defense and an absolute stone cold lock to make the roster run convince me that i'm wrong you're you have a great point that's the thing this isn't you know that's not much of a hot take i do think there's reason to believe Neiman should make this roster, but I want to argue against it because I really think my main point with, with all this, I, I have, you know, I have the specific positions that he could be playing that are filled by other players. The main thing with Neiman is just let these second round picks. You just used the past two years, throw them into the fire. If they aren't ready necessarily, if they're not all the way there mentally, if they're not the cleanest on every single play, getting exactly where they need to be, at least they're doing it full speed. At least they're more athletic than Neiman. And at least they're guys that will benefit from that experience in the long term and will help the defense in the long term. Neiman is not a long-term option at all. He, he should not be on the team after 2021 for sure. I'm arguing he shouldn't even make it to 2021. And so I will break down the positions here. Dime linebackers should be played by Willie Gay. We've talked about it, I think, last podcast. We did mention this a little bit. And so if Willie Gay is playing that role, I also think Dorian O'Daniel has – reason to be a, a, a viable backup in that role where Neiman doesn't have to be. And, and I get they put Neiman in there maybe just because he's more comfortable in the system than O'Daniel. But as a backup, 
Oh, Daniel's got the athleticism. Let him, let him be in there. It's his last year on the team. Like just, he has the athleticism. That's what you need at your dime backer. All right. Mike linebacker. He's the back. He's always been the backup to Hitchens or has been the past two years. They drafted Nick Bolton. He was a Mike from Missouri in an SEC defense the last two seasons. And then you also got to think about Darius Harris, who did wear the green dot last year in the week 16 win over the Falcons. I just think they have options at depth and he shouldn't be starting at all any of the three or four linebacker positions. So that's why I say he shouldn't be on the team. There's no real reason to keep him around. He's just, he will just stop younger players from contributing that will help their experience in the future. So you're telling me that you expect more out of Darius Harris and Dorian O'Daniel than Ben Neiman this year. It's not that it's not expectations. It's me saying, I just, why not play them? Why not have them playing and then not have Neiman on the field? I mean, I don't know. I just, what is the huge, I don't see what is the huge deal with Neiman playing over those guys. Like if they make mistakes, I, Neiman has made plenty of mistakes too. So it's like, I don't, I don't get how I don't, I really don't understand why the chiefs coaching staff has been so in love with them. Maybe they just kind of were forced into a situation and he was a D and he was a linebacker that knew the most out of the guys left. You'd hope another off season, maybe hopefully under spags, these other linebackers I've mentioned can pick it up a little more and replace what Neiman has, has given the team the past few years. I would love to see it, but I will believe it when I do see it. I do think the coaching staff's pretty high on Neiman still, and they like him at plug and play wherever they need him. But hey, if Dorino Daniel takes that step and becomes the dime linebacker, and then uh, or Willie Gay takes that role in addition to being the the uh, will linebacker in the base defense, then that's nothing but a positive for this team, short term and long term. You're getting more athletic, you're getting younger, you're getting faster, you're getting you know development for the for the long term. Uh, so yeah, I'll take it if you're right. I'm not sure the Chiefs coaching staff will. Yeah, and, and that's and that is the thing. We've seen pictures, you know, released the mini camp and stuff. He has been starting in three linebacker sets, it looks like. So that that tells you right there. And you know, that that's veterans getting a start in OTAs and mini camp. You know, we we know Andy Reid's tough on the rookies a little bit, getting them playing time at first. So I'm not saying it's an expectation. It's definitely more of a hot take. I just – I'd like to see the Chiefs' defense without Neiman on the field. The other linebackers get more chance. Yeah, so, all right. Well, in that case, we're going to move on to your Twitter questions. And so, well, one hot take we have from Twitter from Nathan Sabelka, he has a good hot take because I think it's a reasonable one, but it's still a hot take, still a scoring record, season-long scoring record. He has the Chiefs scoring more than 606 points in the regular season to break the all-time scoring record. And with this expanded regular season, as we both know now, I'm still getting used to it, as we both know, uh, that's 17 games now. So over 17 games, that'd be 35.6 points per game. I believe they could do that because they actually did do it in 2018. What do you think about that, Matt? So I'm, I'm supposed to convince you that you're wrong by saying the Chiefs score more than 606 points this season. So it's a tough question because you're right. With the expanded 17-game season, all of these records are just going to be dropping like flies. This is one that you would think would be pretty ripe to fall because, like you said, it's 35.6 game points per game on a 17-game season. That is similar to the 2018 Chiefs offense, which was historically great, although I think that 2018 offense was 35 point 
something too, you know, less yeah, than it was a little lower. You're right. It was a little lower. <laughs> All right. So point number one, they would have to be better than the best offense we've arguably ever seen in a chief's uniform, the 2018 version, the 2018 offense featured Sammy Watkins in a featured role. It featured Kareem hunt as a pass receiver that was lighting up the league as a rookie of the year and leading the league in rushing. I mean, that was a very well balanced and a massively productive offensive team with a terrible defense and they had lots of opportunities to rack up uh, points and, and they needed to do so in order to win games. This is also a team that did not rest their starters in the final week of the season. So if you put all that together and you look at 2021, the Chiefs have a better offensive line than they probably did then overall, or at least as good with more upside. You've got good offensive skill players still. You've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who could be what Hunt was that year. You've got other guys who could take on Sammy Watkins' role. So they could get there, but it would require them to not only average more than 35.6 per game for 17 games, but it probably would require them to to play all 17 games with starters. And I'm not sure this team's going to do it. They're going to be good enough. They're going to be better than they were last year when it was a no-brainer to rest their starters in the final week. I can't imagine them going through this season thinking they have to play that 17th game in order to to get, to get their spot in the playoffs. Yeah, I think you're, the best point you made was the defense, right? I mean, that was why the Chiefs' <laughs> offense had to score so many. We saw the Monday night game against the Rams scoring 51 and losing. That's probably not going to happen this year. I can't imagine Spagnuolo giving up 50-plus points or 40-plus points. I know the Super Bowl didn't look great, um, but that I think that is the main point. I think my main argument would be just the Chiefs going scorched earth. Mahomes going scorched earth, getting mad about the Super Bowl. They haven't increased you, – you mentioned the increased offensive line now. I think all that combined, maybe they just go haywire. They just go bananas over. Andy Reid just calling all the best plays, and they just go for – you know, they go for the record. Maybe, you know, maybe that's that's not something in Andy that, that he, you know, tends to do. He's not a record chaser or anything. But maybe, you know, he recognizes that it's something that could boost the confidence of the players and, and get them hungry. Like, hey, let's 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 go for 20. You know, we talk we hear about 20, you know, well, let's go for the scoring record. Let's go for for these kind of things um, and, and get them kind of engaged throughout the season instead of I'm sure when you're this successful of a team, I'm sure it's kind of hard to stay engaged every week of the season when you know you're going to be in the playoffs at the end of the year, um, you know, no matter how, how you know, successful you are necessarily that game, you know, you're probably going to pull it out and be in the playoffs at the end of the year. So, yeah, I, I that would be my main main argument is that I think they just go crazy this year, scorched earth, and just try to score all the points they can. I mean, you'd hate to see that, right? I mean, <laughs> that would be, <laughs> that would be a, a phenomenally fun season to watch them go scorch earth for 17 full games beginning to end to say, we're not letting off the gas no matter what, you know, blowing teams out that are that they're far superior to taking other teams, you know, to the woodshed, even if they, even if they're evenly matched. Great. I would love to see it. I'll believe it when I see it because Andy Reid notoriously takes his foot off the gas or appears to, and they're going to be gearing up for that playoff run. They saw last year what happens if you're not healthy in the playoffs. And so I think they're going to really be protective of their players and making sure they're not putting too much wear and tear on them 
and putting them in situations where they could get hurt in a situation that doesn't really help them. So I think just the rest alone is probably reason enough to say they won't break this record, even though they're going to be a lot of fun to watch on offense. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back into the best of the week. As I already mentioned, Ron, the show Hughley was off this week. Myself and Brandon Kylie held it down on show and BK. We discussed the pro football focused top 50 players in the NFL, including the four Chiefs that were inside the top 20. All right, so pro football focus puts out their annual list of the 50 best players in the NFL right now. This is basically made to piss off every fan base in America. I think they'd got this right at the top, though, this year. Aaron Donald is number one. And I hear you. If you're a Chiefs fan, you say Patrick Mahomes is number one. Aaron Donald should be two. I got no qualms with it. But I think you can make a case that Aaron Donald, if you're just looking at pure football players, the best pure football player, not the most valuable, but best player, I think Aaron Donald might be that with Patrick Mahomes being right at his heels, although Mahomes is more valuable because of the position. Do you agree with that as a starting point, uh, Serta? Yes, it's going to be an argument and it's going to get Chiefs fans riled up. And I feel like Pro Football Focus does get more clicks off of this by not listing Patrick Mahomes, number one. But Aaron Donald is the greatest defensive lineman that I think we've ever seen. So I can't really complain about it. I think you can make a case either way. And I've got no issues with him putting Aaron Donald number one. So Mahomes was number two. The big surprise to me, and it was in a positive way, was that Travis Kelsey came in at number three on their list of the best players in the NFL right now. I don't necessarily think they're wrong. Travis Kelsey is one of the most indefensible players in football. He's too big for corners. He's too fast for safeties. You can't put a linebacker on him. He is one of the best route runners, regardless of position in the league. If you've watched any of the stuff coming out of the tight end uh, university that they're doing out in Nashville right now, Kelsey is putting on a clinic on how footwork-wise, route running-wise, you should be going about things. Kelsey at number three makes a ton of sense to me, and I appreciate the fact that he's getting the respect at this point that he deserves. Yeah, and he he absolutely should. Like He had a record-setting season, and really it's – he basically sets records like every year now at the tight end position, which is just insane. Like he's the number one tight end in fantasy football, like five years running and no one's even close to him. Like he he's just an unstoppable force and tight end, I think is one of the more difficult positions in the NFL to play that we don't really pay enough attention to because it's tight end. There's just not that many good tight ends in the NFL. Like everybody's just kind of average. There's not a guy who can, run routes, who's got the speed, who's got the athleticism, who can still block and who can do all of those things at an elite level. Like it's Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, but George Kittle hasn't been able to stay on the field. Travis Kelsey plays every game and he's absolutely elite every single year. So there were two other Chiefs players that we can talk about for a second here on this top 50 list. Tyreek Hill came in at number 18. Chris Jones came in at number 19, both right there in the top 20. 
this feels about right for both of those. It might even for me, for, for my standards, be a little high on Chris Jones. Uh, I think by the end of the season, Serta, we're going to see Tyreek Hill on lists like this within the top 10 as well. I think Tyreek is set up for an absolutely monster season. Like if you're playing fantasy football and I know we're both big fantasy guys, Tyreek Hill is somebody that has to be an auto draft in every single league that you're in. I think he's going to top 1500 yards. I think that the chiefs have a lack of a number two threat offensively at receiver specifically. So you've got Hill, you've got Kelsey. I don't know who else is sucking targets away from Tyreek Hill this year. So I I think he's going to have a monster season. And when we do this list next year, I think you're going to see him within the top 10. I think he should be within the top 10 this year. I I think he's underrated. I think Tyreek is one of the most, well, game-changing wide receivers I think we've ever seen. But he's also, you can't replicate what he does. Like, he's just an alien. And, And we usually reserve that for... Like Kelsey or or, or Kittle or, or or Darren Waller, like guys like that that are six six, two hundred and sixty pounds. Yeah, Tyreek's a smaller guy, but he's thick, and Tyreek has got to have like a forty two inch vertical. Like he he jumps through the roof. He can go up and get the football like he's Julio Jones or like he's AJ Brown or one of these other guys that's legitimately like six three six four, and he's like five ten. He's absolutely insane. He's faster than everybody else. Like, it's, I feel like pro football focus takes into account how tall wide receivers are. And then that's, that's what hurts Tyreek Hill. It's not his actual play on the field, it's his actual height. I think it's totally fair that pro football focus coming off of last year has Devontae Adams ranked as the number one wide receiver. I think where it gets a little questionable, though, is after him. Who's your next guy in the NFL right now? And for them, They've got DeAndre Hopkins above Tyreek Hill. I can't have DeAndre Hopkins above Tyreek Hill right now. He is a guy that is used in Arizona exclusively, basically, as 10 yards and in. He's not much of a deep threat for them. I would take, like, if I'm building a team, we're doing fantasy draft style on on Madden. I'm taking Tyreek Hill 10 times out of 10 over DeAndre Hopkins 100 times. Yeah, without question. And I, I would with Devontae Adams, too. Uh, over DeAndre Hopkins, but I still think that I think after last season, yeah, Devonte Adams probably deserves to be ahead of Tyreek on this list. But I think long term, I would rather have Tyreek Hill. Like if we're talking like a dynasty fantasy draft or something like that, I would much rather have Tyreek Hill than Devonte Adams. And I love DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins is an absolutely incredible player. But I think Tyreek Hill should also be ahead of him. Like DeAndre Hopkins is still capable of being a legitimate number one wide receiver. I I just don't like the Cardinals offense. I don't like the way they're using him. Tyreek Hill is on a weekly basis, like 100, 120 yards and a touchdown type of player with Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback. And there's just not anybody else, I think, that you can rely on on a weekly basis. Like that guy's just not going to get shut down because of who our quarterback is. There aren't very many positions in the NFL right now where there's like a clear cut number one, like consensus. Everybody agrees that's the best player at that position. I think you've got that with Aaron Donald at defensive tackle. I think most people would agree that Patrick Mahomes is that at quarterback. I think Kelsey would be that guy at tight end, although maybe you would get some disagreement with him on Kittle. There's some people that might take Kittle over Kelsey. I think by the end of the year, to your point, I think you could see that with Tyreek Hill at wide receiver. 
Like if there's one player in the league that could add his name to that list with Mahomes, uh, Aaron Donald, maybe you could say Quentin Nelson at offensive guard. Uh, if there's one guy that could do that by the end of the season, I think it would probably be Tyreek Hill. I think you could see, so normally a 16-game season, 1,500-yard, like a 1,600-yard season this year for Tyreek Hill is not out of the realm of the possibility. 1,600 yards, 16 touchdowns, I could see that for him this year. It sounds crazy, but I think that's in his range of the outcomes. Yeah, and I, I think that should be in his range of outcomes every year, really. And, and, you know, his going back to 2018, which that was like a historically great Chiefs offense, he had over 1,400 yards that year, and that was his highest yardage output. But, you know, last year he was still exceptional, and people were kind of making a big deal at one point about he was like leading the NFL in drops. I think Deontay Johnson wound up leading the NFL in drops, but Tyree Hill was like number two. But a lot of that is just quantity, like the amount of looks that he was getting because him and Travis Kelsey just get so many targets. And so I do feel like maybe it's going to be harder for him to get to that like 1600 yard mark because Travis Kelsey feels like a lock for a thousand yards as well. But there's no reason that he can't do it. I mean, even even in 2019, like he only had 860 yards, but he missed several games that year because of injury. And that's really the only year in his career so far that he's had any type of injury problems where you've had to consistently worry about him. Yeah, I think he's going to be a monster this season. I think he's going to be a consensus number one. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 